technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... Criminal gangs or the underground economy has shifted over to the internet because it is incredibly easy to hire the tools, just like you can have a cloud service provider, you can have a malware service provider to hoover up all kinds of noteworthy, valuable assets. You're listening to The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. Boschemann has been in the cybersecurity game for as long as computers have been networked. The former director of cyber incident response for the Government of Canada says the threat surface under 5G is only going to explode as the Internet of Things drives the factory of the future and the smart office building. What is the communication service provider to do? We began our conversation by reviewing a University of Maryland study which concluded a cyber attack is launched every 39 seconds, and every data breach costs an average 3.9 million US dollars. Gwen says it's a lot worse than that. When I was running the national cert uh, five years ago, there was about 120,000 new um, threat factors every day. And so I would think that's completely underreporting. Uh, most uh, networks, if you haven't, uh, if you think that you have not had a cyber attack, it's because you haven't found it. There's more bad traffic than good. When you say that it's underreported, you suggest that in part it may be because you just don't know you've been hacked yet. But I can also imagine that there is, um, for lack of a better term, a pride component to this. If an organization had been hacked, they may be reluctant to disclose that. Oh, certainly. Because um, we don't have a carrot and stick uh, phenomenon going on. We just have all stick, right? So if a company, if your IT guy says they've been breached, well, they're bad, you might want to fire them, which would be the worst thing to do because they're the ones who know your network. Um, and then you move up the chain and you've seen senior C-suite folks get canned after a particularly harsh cyber event. And so that means that either you have to regulate folks to, to report you have to incentivize somehow, or this is not going to change. You're going to you're going to continue to hide if you know, and underrepresent the impact. You can see now with Colonial, they're not back up yet. That pipeline system. They're still trying to get back up. It, it sort of feels a little bit like the guy in the zombie movie who got bit but won't tell anybody about it. That actually long term does more damage than good. Absolutely. Now you know. We've always heard that the doctors make the worst patients. So IT professionals make the worst people to uh, uh, admit that they've been done over. I still do all my own network IT, even though it's been over 30 years since I've learned it. So, uh, yeah, I think it's bad and it's getting worse. The other problem the, that uh, is there is a lack of skills. So. In my entire time in technology, we've never had enough people nor enough talent uh, to, to actually make things work. We always have vacancies in our fields. And so that just makes everybody stressed out. So here you've got this poor IT guy 
And if he says, hey, I think we've been hacked, you could get knocked over the head and saying, bye, thank you very much. Um, and the only reason he's done that is he feels enough trust to tell you. And he's probably working, he or she, sorry, has been working many, many hours beyond capacity for years. We had all kinds of unpaid, just dedicated folks that would stay after their hours all the time, without question. And who are they fighting? You know, you said that if you don't think you've been hacked, it's because you haven't found out yet. Is this largely um, cyber criminals or are these nation states that we need to be primarily concerned about? So I think it's both. We have seen um, a slow change over the last 20 years since the Internet came commercialized that uh, criminal gangs or the underground economy has shifted or expanded in some cases over to the Internet because it is incredibly easy to uh, get the tools. You can hire the tools, just like you can have a cloud service provider, you can have a malware service provider uh, to, to grab the expertise in order to hoover up all kinds of uh, uh, noteworthy, uh, valuable assets. And so it's very easy to do. On the state side, so that's always a dialogue that happens and, and it's, and it's uh, quite politically unpopular to say what's going on in, in that state. We know it's public knowledge. There are many, many states, including ours and mine, uh, all of North America, that has a cyber defense and cybersecurity capacity within their government. And so we can't just say, you know, this particular country is doing some nasty stuff. They are. Nobody's super clean here. We're all doing this. This is the cyber war, right? It's, it's the Cold War moved electronically. The threat surface is expanding under 5G. What does that surface look like? So even today, you, you know that uh, we probably have all kinds of devices in our home that 10 years ago we didn't have. We've each got a cell phone. We've each got now Wi-Fi connected. Uh, name the appliance. Fridges, stoves, dishwashers. I can't figure it out, really. <laughs> Why would you need your dishwasher to tell you that it's done doing the dishes? Right. So it's that annoying bell, but now it's on your phone. Um, so I find, I find we've already overcommitted to the number of devices on. But the industry pushes forward to figure out what are the next innovations. And so one can think, you know, you're, you're, um, you have a heart palpitation and you used to get a, a device implanted to, to, to make sure that was ticking okay. And they go in, you know, every decade to see or replace it. Well, now that's connected to an app so they can monitor it. Great for the patient, for the underlying health, health condition. Um, but that's another vector. And so you're going to see um, with, uh, with the 5G, just the explosion of opportunities we can hardly imagine. I would think that there'll be sensors in every um, distance marker on the highway, monitoring road conditions or monitoring speeds or monitoring uh, the, the, uh, the snow to see whether you know, it's at a particular degree and what's melting. They can change the type of salt. We have salt up here in Canada to melt the ice. And uh, all that could be monitored through all of these devices throughout a road. And that's just one example. What's interesting, too, is that one might think that, sure, somebody hacked my thermostat or that road sensor, but what's the value in that? Whereas the reality is, is that that's that front door. That's that first level of security that's been breached. And the intent is to work your way into the system from that initial 
low-power, low-security, low-priority device. Right. And we've all done the risk assessment against our different pieces of our infrastructure and assigned the relative critical value. Uh, and so that road sensor is, well, it's low, it's no value. So um, we might not even monitor it very actively because it's such a low priority in the food chain, but it's all connected. And so what the criminal gangs and the state actors uh, have been doing very well and expanding exponentially are botnets. And botnets are that they control all of these devices and then we'll do uh, gather them all and then do a dramatic um, push of information out that has malware in it to take down a particular segment. Uh, so uh, when you have an outage, you know, a cloud service provider outage, that's probably been caused by a botnet. Now, we also hear the word of um, ransomware a lot, and that's just a they put a price on it, right? So instead of just taking it out for takeout sake, uh, they've said, well, I've gotten all your road markers now and uh, you can have them back, but you have to pay me a million dollars. And I may or may not give them back in its original condition, but you could pay me a million dollars. So that's the value of them is, is that they may individually look low value and not critical, but they're all connected and there are many, many of them and you want them right? You, your company wants them to be safe and used in the appropriate manner. And that has value. You've brought up two very interesting points. One of them being that, sure, maybe that road sensor gets hacked. It may not necessarily be an intrusion point into the broader network for whoever owns that IoT device. It can simply be turned around and, and developed as a zombie that goes off and attacks the rest of the world uh, instead. Uh, with that in mind, the ransomware component to it is, is pretty critical. How significant is it today? And what's your prognostication as to how much bigger it's expected to get in the coming years as we make this major shift into Industry 4.0 and we have more of these types of devices out there? Yeah, it's quite concerning. And I think we're seeing examples or we're hearing of examples of where uh, companies are paying ransom. And up till fairly recently, say the last five years ago, the ransomware came in and it was maybe $30,000. And uh, the behavior was very honorable. You'd pay the $30,000, they'd unlock your, your files and away you go. Uh, the most recent ones we've seen, the, the value of the ransom is far higher. Uh, the intrusion, the number of devices that are, that are impacted is far higher. And uh, in fact, they're not good behaviors, right? So when you pay the ransom, they may or may not uh, release those files or they may release them, but it's a lot of work. Uh, um, it's, it's, it's inevitable that this is going to get worse, right? So it was strange. It was a strange behavior that they actually honored the deal of the ransom and then you paid it. And then, like, show me a movie where that happens. So they're now moving into the more traditional realm of um, piracy. And uh, I think that will continue and explode. So how should a CSP address the security implications of the bring your own device phenomenon, which was a hard road to, to travel for an enterprise in the first place to suddenly say, OK, fine, we'll let you bring your own devices. It, there was a, a definite positive to that, but at the same time, it introduced 
substantial new problems. How does a CSP, which is connected to that enterprise that has all those devices, address that kind of security implication? Well, we've seen some solutions, uh, and, and unfortunately, they either limit the uh, use of the bring your own devices into the day-to-day operations, or um, they take over the particular device um, and impose the company's security profile on it while you're on-prem. Um, both of those are stop gaps in order to protect uh, the company's environment. Um, I think I think it's going to be very difficult unless you had a seamless supply chain. So you, the phones that you would say are allowed are the same, uh, operated by the same um, uh, telephone operator as the company has as the cloud is. Like maybe a line so that you could then have the same security policies running through that array of levels. Um, that's the only way I can see it working. This is not sustainable. You may have saved a few bucks by allowing your your employees to bring their phones and you've raised morale because now the employee has one device rather than two. But I just don't see how you can seamlessly um, have that kind of risk brought into your enterprise every day and then go home and uh, home networks aren't secure. So what in fact are you doing? You'd have to have the ecosystem much more blended. Um, uh, And so that would be, offering your employees to have home internet plans by a approved supplier rather than, uh, you know, uh, another one that would be lower quality, supposed lower quality or not even aligned. Um, those are the means in which you could probably move forward on this. You'd have to incentivize, you know, the changing of the phone as soon as it became out of date and the patching was no longer leveled. Like there's a lot of complexity to that. And it would mean, I think, um, disappointment in both the employee side and the employer side of how how the devices cannot be seamlessly put into your infrastructure. I know as we look into the 5G infrastructure, just all the various levels of it, unlike 4G, 5G now sort of ring fences its system with security protocols at every step of the way. Again, the idea that you might be able to get in the front door, but you're not going to get up to the first floor, the second floor, or the third floor, because there are continuous checks and balances associated with that. But that also creates a remarkable explosion of alerts for any IT professional to attend to. So it seems artificial intelligence is stepping up to act as the network security guard. Absolutely. And that was inevitable. Um, if you're going to have an explosion of, of devices, the last thing you ha- you can't manage it with having four people sitting in front of these mega screens watching for red red flashes to come up. Well, back to the movie analogy, right? Yeah. Big red lights flashing. That doesn't happen. Well, it still does, but it should be at a completely different threshold. It's not every alert. It's when there's a systemic alert that needs some human eyes on it. So all you've done is taken those routine tasks, right, and and put a layer of intelligence there um, because it needs to be able to ingest the knowledge of what the new 120,000 daily threats are to your infrastructure. It needs to be able to assess what the relative protections are and test the scenarios so that you know whether uh, you can say that your your network is you know good to go, green. The Security Operations Center of a company 
in the past has been dealing with those elementary things. And when your password expires, all of those things, those can be automated. If it's repeatable, it's automated. And if it's a repeatable but enhanced, so, so something changes slightly, then that's the AI portion that it learns how to, to shift the, as the changes of the instructions are. Um, that all needs to be removed from that network operator job. Uh, because again, we have scarce skills. We don't have enough of them. They're very expensive people. Um, and there's a whole lot of other higher element work that needs to happen, right? To look at patterns, to look at threat vectors, to look at, to, to, to study the algorithms that program the AI. That's where we need to put the emphasis rather than the task of just whack-a-moleing these, these particular threats. In 2020, 33% of all infections in mobile networks came from IoT devices. And as we moved to Industry 4.0 and industrial IoT, you said that a CSP would never keep its head above water looking at customers as suspect. It's not the customer themselves as suspect, it's the data and the instructions to that data and where it's moving. And so you really need to take every data packet and encrypt it so that it's secure, um, and, uh, and data in motion and data at rest need to be encrypted end to end. And so therefore it's a protected seal. And so you are protected. The cloud service prior is protected because you're putting a, a, a seal around the information or the instruction in order to get from A to B. So the risk doesn't transfer then to the cloud. It remains back at the enterprise. If the, if the information instructions within that data at rest and data at transfer are uh, have been hacked or or, or malicious, uh, it, it stays within that enterprise. Because one could imagine you're going to have thousands of customers at the cloud service provider level. The last thing you need is all of these new threats coming in from your particular clients. So you really have to make sure it's layered. And as you said, at 5G has all of these um, layers of protection within. So it's going down to the, the protecting the particular piece of information rather than an entire infrastructure and assuming that within that infrastructure, it's all safe. That's an impossibility. So you go down to the smallest nugget and protect up. So we're told to design for security. What do those core principles look like? So it's monitoring all of those patterns so that anything beyond a particular um, error mode uh, would be alerted and everything within uh, will be you'll know that you've got a pretty good chance that it's going in the right place, it's still saying the same thing, and the people the people able to interact with that piece of information are the right people. So go down to that rather than the whole system has 100,000 users. You know that there's 12 people, 12 roles that uh, have access to that information to do a particular instruction. So you can understand that it's far more the rules engine towards managing this data are incredibly complex. It sounds like what you were suggesting was packet sniffing, something that would be necessary to be able to tell what is in that data packet that's moving across a network. Uh, to your point, data in motion needs to be encrypted. Uh, how do we sniff into that, first of all, particularly if it's encrypted, and second, and perhaps just as important, if not more, maintain the privacy of the customer? Right. So that's back to what I mentioned about perhaps you don't actually uh, sniff the data inside the packet, there's always an envelope uh, that's sealed that you don't get into. And so you're looking at the seal. And we see this in physical security uh, that um, when you're looking at how governments protect information, there's always inner 
the document, then an inner envelope, then an outer envelope, and there's different information on each one. Uh, and so what is the information that cloud service provider needs in order to assure that, yeah, that data, I don't need to know the details. I know that sealed envelope is still going from A to B, and that's the right places that sealed envelope can go. That's in my instruction set. Good to go. I don't need to get further in. So in all of your years in Internet and corporate security, are you at all optimistic that we're winning this war? Well, I think we're keeping up because the computing power is still expanding at a remarkable rate. The telecommunications world we live in is expanding. We can't hardly even imagine what life was like 10 years ago. Uh, and, and so when I started, it was mainframes uh, without any internet. Um, we, I had a 300-baud modem. And so the risk was very, very low because it only went as fast as 300-baud, which was you know, 30 words a minute or... And worst case scenario, just unplugged it from the phone. Exactly. So, yes, it can seem overwhelming. And how would we ever keep pace? But that's human nature. We are driven towards keeping pace. We are driven towards managing our infrastructure in a way. Same as the uh, any uh, physical world issues. You know, we got rid of acid rain in the Great Lakes. We, we are uh, working towards carbon capture uh, for, for all of our industry. We'll figure it out. Uh, but we have to have uh, folks looking at the long term to see where the horizon is going. Um, I'm involved a little bit in the Quantum Safe uh, Canada initiative, which is for quantum um, encryption. Uh, those are the things that need to proceed. We need all of our researchers working for what will the internet need to protect itself in a normal evolution over the next 20, 30 years. Those conversations are happening and they need to continue to happen. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas all by visiting nokia.com slash insights. The Futurhythmic podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.